Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of One Vision. Joining us today is Rebecca Fennin, a journalist, author, I would say multiple times author, and a media entrepreneur. Welcome to the show, Rebecca. Oh, thanks. Glad to be here. Thank you for joining us. Um, it's so exciting to have you here today. Many congrats on your upcoming book, The Silicon Heartland. But before we get there, um, and I want to talk about your other ones, the Silicon Dragon, the Startup Asia, as well as Tech Titans of China. Let's go back in time a little bit. Can you tell us about your journey from here in America all the way to Asia? And as I understand, you're back now for a little bit? That's right. Hip-hopping around, jumping around. I think I started my career in New York City and in magazines. And then I was in Silicon Valley working for Red Herring Magazine, the dot-com magazine of its time. And I followed the money over to China and to Asia and started writing about what was happening in the tech scene in Beijing and Shanghai and Hong Kong and elsewhere, even India, uh, Singapore, throughout Asia. and. That resulted in my first book, Silicon Dragon, and that was published in 2008. That helped to uh, really launch me as an author and a media entrepreneur with my own group, Silicon Dragon Ventures. Uh, that also led me to write about what else was going on in Asia. And that led to my second book, Startup Asia, which was published in 2011. Uh, it talked a lot about India uh, following China. Uh, there was a lot of material about Vietnam, Singapore, Indonesia, these up-and-coming markets that were following the lead of China. And uh, that was published in 2011. Uh, and from there, I really spent a lot of time doing events as a media entrepreneur and hosting events and bringing in speakers, venture capitalists and tech entrepreneurs. and really uh, enjoying uh, being a host, uh, an event host, and but continuing my journalism as well. I've always been a journalist. I've always been writing uh, for Forbes for 10 years and now for CNBC for a few years. Um, so that helps me to keep in touch with what's going on, the latest trends. Being a journalist really helps. Um, then um, finally, <laughs> Actually, not finally, because Silicon Heartland is still coming, uh, launching March 7th, but uh, Tech Titans of China was published in 2019. This was kind of the height of China's tech boom, and I saw the Silicon Dragon companies that I wrote about that were startups when I knew them. Originally, they grew up, <laughs> and they became giants. So I covered that in my book, Tech Titans of China. And uh, that was translated in a lot of markets and it did really well. And uh, it's a real comprehensive look at what was happening. And to carry it forward, I uh, wrote Silicon Heartland during COVID. I did the research and uh, wrote it during COVID. It was about a two year project. Um, I spent about um, a year on the road doing interviews in the Heartland. And then I wrote the book uh, with my perspective of global. I, and I compare what's happening in the heartland today with what I saw happen in Asia. 
So it's been an interesting journey. This is, it, it's fascinating to hear you because you mentioned that you wrote the first book back in 2008. This was quite a long time ago. Um, you know, this was, this was even before the Alibaba and the, uh, and, and all of the super apps that that's been so prominent in China and Southeast Asia for the last six, eight years. So I, I would say that is extremely, extremely forward looking um, and, and fascinating. Can you tell us a little bit about like, how, how did you decide that, you know, you wanted to write about those topics? Cause I remember when I came back from a host of visits in Asia, this was back in, um, oh my God, 2015, 16. And I started talking about the super apps. And I remember our friends and colleagues in, in the US, they were like, well, yeah, okay, so, but what is so interesting about, you know, paying with QR code? What is so interesting about Alibaba and Tencent and all these companies? Like, it was hard to comprehend. And even then, you know, I was 10 years after you, right? Right. Um my first book was really at the beginning of the tech boom in China. So back then, there were a lot of copies of successful Silicon Valley companies like Google and Facebook. Uh, those were all being uh, developed in China at that time. The super app was not here yet. Um, super app factors in a lot more in my, new, in my newer book, Tech Titans of China. You know, you see Tencent, Alibaba, Baidu all getting into super apps. And um, that became much more important later on with mobile. And so, you know, the mobile app um, is, a, is a relatively new phenomenon, although it's hard to believe today. Uh, but back then, uh, in 2008, 2005, and so forth, it was all the Internet. You know, the Internet companies, dot com. That's what it was all about, dot com, not, not apps, dot com. Uh, so I wrote about um, those companies, um, and they were many of the same companies got into super apps later on, uh, but they were originally in the internet. It's pretty interesting to go back and uh, and look at how much things have changed, right, in the last ten years. Tell us a little bit more about Silicon Dragon Ventures, because I first heard about it a couple of years ago. It, it's interesting. So you describe it as um, a media a media startup, right, uh, where you invite different people to come in. It's like a, a community of sort. It is. It is a community. Uh, we have a media platform. We do uh, live events. Now we're doing live events again. In fact, I just got back from a consumer electronics show in Vegas, and we did a live event there that was very well attended. It was so great to be able to do a live event again uh, after two years of doing only online events. Uh, what uh, we did during COVID is uh, take our show, our events online, and I started a new show called Ask a VC Anything. And uh, we've been having uh, VCs from around the world on the show, and I interview them. Uh, so that's been uh, quite interesting. Um, it's been very global, too. It's great to be able to do something that's global online and have that kind of reach. Uh, so 
Yeah, we have this media platform, uh, which consists of my Ask a VC show, my website, the newsletter, our events, uh, some uh, research, and obviously my books, uh, which feed into that. And then my my uh, basic, um, uh, you know, skill as a journalist. That that that's awesome. Um, I wanted to ask you this. So. You've spent a lot of time out in Asia. You mentioned in China and then afterwards in India, Vietnam, Singapore, Hong Kong, all of those big cities where there's a lot of things going on right now. And I'm curious to hear back from you from the first few trips that you took overseas. Did anything take you by surprise? Like, was there anything in your mind that you think, well, you know, this is how it's going to be, this is how innovation space is going to look like. Um, did anything took you by surprise then and afterwards with all the changes that's been happening in the region the last 10 years? Well, it was just the speed of it all. I never could have imagined that uh, China would become the second leading tech hub in the world and the second leading venture hub in the world. When I was first there, it was a lot of construction sites. Um, the startup ecosystem was only beginning. Uh, there weren't a lot of co-working spaces. Uh, there weren't a lot of accelerators or incubators or venture capital. It was all developing. And uh, so I was on the frontier, which I, I like to be on the frontier, and uh, see it develop. Uh, and it was surprising, the speed of it and the, and the force of it. Uh, I haven't seen anything like that since. Um, Silicon Valley. I was also in Silicon Valley during the height of Silicon Valley. So I've seen it here in Silicon Valley too. Um, but that was really the most surprising thing is just how fast it took off and how forceful it was and how it became a worldwide uh, phenomenon and how it became a challenger to the US in technology innovation leadership. The same thing too, when I first went to Shanghai, I was so surprised. I was like, wow, okay. I, I didn't imagine, um, you know, cause I spent so much time. I moved here to the U S more than 30 years ago. So I've been here for so long. I forgot like how different ecosystems would have been, could have been outside of here. Um, it, it was fascinating to watch. And I, I remember being in the taxi. And I couldn't pay the driver. He wanted me to pay with Didi and my Didi app. I had my Amex carpet is the US. And of course I couldn't use that to pay. And I had to give him cash. And the guy was like looking at me like, what, what are you using cash for? It, 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 it was, it was really, really interesting experience. Um, oh yeah. Well, that, that was it. There were always, China was always ahead of what the trends were in the US. You would come back to the US and it, everything would seem like, the infrastructure all outdated, um, a slower pace. Um, you know, that, that's it. I mean, the workaholic uh, attitude of the Chinese during this tech boom was just incredible. And the energy was incredible. It was very exciting, uh, very exciting time to be there and to be in the heart of it. Yes, yes, absolutely. In the heart of it. Have you been back? Ever since No, COVID? I mean, uh, my last trip to China was January 2020. Okay. Yes, the, I was I was just actually commenting um, on Twitter. The, the last time I attended the uh, Asian Financial Forum 
was also January 2020. Um, uh -huh. And, you know, and then afterwards, COVID, you know, kind of just turned everything upside down. So it's it's been a while. It's really yeah. I mean, we, we had events in April that we were supposed to have in April. Had to, we had to postpone it twice. Yeah. Yeah. We, people thought this would all be over by April, but it wasn't over. And then we, we then we set it for July and it still wasn't over. So we finally we said, okay, we're moving it online. And yeah, that's I what everybody that. did. That's what everybody did. Mm -hmm. You know, every every event went, went online. It it was crazy time. I thought it was gonna be like the SARS. And uh, you know, back then with the SARS, it was over in a few months, and that's what I thought. Right. And uh yeah. well, three years yeah. later. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, I, I was, I was in, I was in Hong Kong and uh, Shanghai during SARS too, uh, but I, I left. <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, a lot of people have left uh, China as well now uh, since COVID, and uh, you know, people are starting to travel there again now. Like the, uh, you know, definitely we're going to start to see another, uh, I think, boom, uh, mini boom uh, out of the increased travel now that people can go back and forth again. People weren't going because they didn't want to spend three weeks in quarantine or one week in quarantine. It just didn't make any sense. You could do a lot of the same thing online. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I'm curious to, I would be very curious to see how things would be in the next few years, because if we look at, for example, the last six to nine months, right? We look at the India ecosystem, a lot of things is going on. There's a lot of things going on in Vietnam, for example, a ton of things going on in Singapore. A lot of capital has moved to Singapore. What, how do you think the whole Southeast Asia, Asia ecosystem will be like the next few years? What are some of the trends that you think we should be on the lookout for? Well, I think um, previously China dominated the tech and venture scene. And now we will see this spread throughout Asia. Uh, we will, we're already seeing Singapore coming up very strongly and Indonesia coming up very strongly and India. Uh, so this is spreading uh, region wide and people will no longer just talk about a China tech boom. They will talk about it in Asian tech boom. And you'll, you'll see that, like people don't talk about Germany as a German market. They talk about the European market. It'll be like that, the Asian market. And we're already seeing those trends happen. I, I remember growing up, I was born and raised in Hong Kong. So growing up, we often talk about the five dragons, right? The different uh, countries and regions in Asia. And right. Uh, and I would, I, I agree with you. I don't think back then I would have thought, you know, 40 years later, China would be where, where it is right now. So it's fascinating to watch. I, I noticed that there's a lot of talk about Web3 and the next internet and all of that in, in Asia as well. So I, I think that would be an interesting thing, you know, to watch just to see what's going to happen there. Because the regulation perspective is a little different as well out in Asia versus here. Um, Korea is another interesting place to be. Definitely at, at the Consumer Electronics Show, Korea was very much a big factor. It used to be China and today it was Korea. Wow. Samsung, you know, uh, Hyundai, um, 
LG, uh, those companies, those big companies, and a lot of startups too around around the Korean space. Uh, so Korea is coming on very strong. Um, Japan was there uh, uh, as well, but less than Korea. Um, Hong Kong was there in a big way. Um, in fact, um, we had three founders from Hong Kong speak, speak at our CES event. And um, so the Hong Kong Science and Technology Park was represented in Cyberport, what they're doing in Hong Kong and how uh, the Hong Kong Science and Technology Park is expanding across the border into mainland China um, and creating a greater Bay Area, uh, which it was interesting because some of the people in the audience, that's the first time they'd, they'd heard the term greater Bay Area. <laughs> of course, I, I've been hearing that for some time from Hong Kong, but uh, you know, it uh, there still takes some time for these ideas uh, to travel. Wow. Yeah, I remember hearing about it back in 2019. And, yeah. you because know, they often talk about how there are these multiple regions, but when you combine it together in terms of talent, in terms of consumer spending power and all of that, it's, it's a huge region. It's not just one micro um, region. So it's, it's fascinating to see what's going to happen next. So let's talk about something super exciting, your next book is coming out, you say March 7th, the Silicon Heartland. Can you give us a sneak preview on some of the themes that you are exploring in the book? And why did you decide that you want to spend a whole year traveling in in the US to, to get interviews? And it, it's a long project, one year interview and then one year writing? Sure, well, it was COVID. You know, this is COVID. That is, that is very you know, I, It was a great project and, and the time was right, you know, remote working. Uh, the idea of um, Heartland Innovation uh, in clusters throughout the whole region, uh, Indianapolis, Columbus, Pittsburgh, Dayton, Detroit, Flint, Cleveland, Cincinnati, uh, and so forth. They're all booming and uh, technology is in the forefront. I am from Ohio, the, my home state is Ohio. And I'm, uh, my family home is about 30 miles from the new Intel plant in outside of Columbus. So I, I'm very much again um, on the frontier right there where it's happening. And I've seen the Intel plant uh, already a couple of times. It's when I go back to Ohio to visit family and uh, you know when I was there doing interviews as well. Uh, I, I know right where it is, it's 30 miles uh, away, just up Route 37. Uh, so uh, this was natural for me. Um, I um, had been uh, watching this trend in any case, uh, starting even the year before COVID started. Um, I had started uh, exploring what was happening outside of Silicon Valley. As you know, Silicon Valley has about half of the venture capital in the US and if you combine that with New York and Boston, those three markets have three quarters of the activity. And now that's starting to spread, you're starting to see venture capital come into the Midwest. Some of it's from the coast, the coastal firms. Uh, some of it is uh, from homegrown firms, from companies that 
were started uh, by serial entrepreneurs who were very successful, sold their companies to big companies, and then had a lot of money to burn and set up venture capital funds. So that's happening. And um, I was able to um, interview people who were readily available because nobody was traveling. You know, <laughs> I got in to see everyone, you know, mayors, no problem. <laughs> Come on in, see the mayor. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, and congressional leaders, uh, Ro Khanna, you know, I, and, uh, who's the, uh, congressional leader from Silicon Valley, uh, Tim Ryan, who was a congressional leader from, um, Northeast Ohio and, uh, Youngstown area and many more, the mayors of Pittsburgh and Flint and Dayton and, uh, so forth. And, um, uh, just put all of these pieces together, uh, into this book. Uh, which is very comprehensive, actually. When I look at it again, I think uh, it is very comprehensive, but it has case studies of the entrepreneurs. It has profiles of the venture capitalists. It has snapshots of, of each of the markets and what their strengths are. Uh, for instance, uh, there's not look-alike markets in the Midwest. Each one of them has their own specialty. Um, and that's one of the things that I discovered in researching the book is that there are these tech clusters. Pittsburgh is really strong in AI and robotics. Uh, Cleveland is really strong in biotech. Uh, Dayton is strong in military applications. You know, the US Air Force is based there, so that makes sense. Um, Cleveland is strong in biotech, uh, feeding off of uh, very large institutions like the Cleveland Clinic. And um, it was uh, very interesting to spot these trends. Um, early on and write about these clusters. You know, Silicon Valley is a lot of tech put together. And near, even New York City, uh, there's not so much specialization, but in the Midwest, it's a lot of specialization by, by city. And, um, but I have to say that not all places are booming. They're still left behind places. And one of the reasons I wanted to write this book is that I have seen the downside as well as the upside. And the downside is uh, poverty, lingering poverty, uh, opioid addiction, uh, lack of education. Uh, these are sore spots that need to be corrected in the Heartland region. Uh, and another interesting thing that I discovered in my research is that there are champions who are working on uh, helping these regions for, to progress. For instance, I interviewed John Chambers. Well, John Chambers is originally from West Virginia, and he's giving back to his home state, um, to West Virginia University and Mark Morgantown. Uh, and then not far from there uh, is Huntington, West Virginia, which is not far from where I grew up. And here we have Brad Smith, the former CEO of Intuit, one of the leading Silicon Valley companies, and it's well known throughout the world. Uh, for its brands, but uh, Brad Smith has also returned to his home state and he's become president of Marshall University in West Virginia. Uh, these are these are town champions. I call them town champions. I have a whole section in the book called Champions. Um, there are people like um, Albert Ratner in Cleveland, who is um, uh, a uh, leading industrialist. Uh, well-known, the Ratner family, and he's working in Appalachian now to help uh, end uh, poverty and to create what he calls uh, Zoom zones, 
you know, remote working, people can create these Zoom pounds. <laughs> so Zoom pounds are kind of a, a new thing. Um, and that's all because of this remote working. Uh, so my book fed into those trends of remote working and, and uh, new investment in the Midwest and um, the idea that uh, this is a comeback story. It's a comeback story because, you know, this was a, a large part of this area was a rust belt. It was the rust belt and uh, it rusted. <laughs> uh, and now it's on its recovery. And uh, you're seeing old factories torn down, old homes torn down, uh, and new development coming in related a lot to tech and to new tech. That, that's the future. I, I love that story because in the last few years, for example, <clears throat> I've worked with um, startups in Arkansas, Little Rock, Arkansas. That's okay. another, you know, city that people don't typically think about when it comes to, you know, tech innovation. But yet, if you take a step back, you see the big employers that were there and that are still there and there are people, right? And so it's fascinating and heartwarming in a lot of sense to see there are opportunities in a lot of different places. They just need a little bit more help, a little bit more uplift, and they can create to 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 borrow your your term the comeback story. So it's 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 I love that, and it reminds me of Steve Case back a couple of years ago when he first launched the Rise of the Rest platform and his the bus tours. And uh, I'm I'm happy to see there's continued attention, if you will, right in the need to foster more local innovation in, you know, the Buffalo and upstate New York and, you know, everywhere else. But it feels like it's an uphill battle because for every dollar that you put in the Midwest, there are millions and millions and millions and millions more that are, you know, going to, to the three coastal cities in, in the U.S. So, I love what you mentioned, the, uh, the town champions, the people that are coming back to give back to their original local community. What do you, how do you think this is going to evolve in the next few years? You know, are there some, for example, policy, new policy with, let's say, the Inflation Reduction Act and all of those different things that can drive more activities to the places that need the resources? Well, that's right. Uh, the Build Back Better plan has allocated money for specific regions to rebuild. And that money is going to make a difference, I think. Um, and then each state has its own economic policies to attract uh, new tech talent, to attract uh, new tech companies to come in through uh, tax incentives and subsidies. Um, and then even cities have their own uh, relocation programs. For instance, Tulsa has a remote worker program where they um, invited or actually um, people apply to move to Tulsa and set up their companies and stay there and they get uh, relocation money for that. Uh, and uh, there's quite a, quite a thousand have done that. Uh, it's making a difference. West Virginia has a similar program. Other cities are also getting on that bandwagon. Um, and I think 
other cities really don't need that quite as much, like uh, Columbus, near where I grew up, it, it's booming anyhow. Uh, it's really 15% um, population growth in the last decade. Uh, it's tremendous. And uh, this Intel plant going in is just going to accelerate it, create a whole new other um, group of tech companies and tech suppliers to it. And Honda just made another investment in the region. So, uh, you know, these, these cities and states and the federal government are all behind uh, this tech boom. I, I didn't know about some of those. Do you have a particular favorite, um, or maybe we shouldn't be picking favorites. <laughs> Do you have any um, specific, uh, you know, throughout all of your interviews, right? Are there any specific initiatives that stood out to you? Well, I, I think, um, look, uh, Brad Smith moving from Silicon Valley and, and leaving a high-tech company where he was the, the leader of this high-tech company and moving back to Huntington, West Virginia, you know, it's, it's on the Ohio River. It's, it's not exactly uh, a big town. It's, it's not even mid-sized, really, maybe 50,000 population. Um, and then creating uh, this whole remote worker program where they're bringing in talent to West Virginia. Uh, and I think that's remarkable, really. Uh, and they've already they've already had one program. It went already one one group has already been through this. And uh, those people, um, uh, some of them are staying, and you know, helping to create a tech economy out of a coal mining area. You know, it's there's still you know these areas that are depressed uh, that need this kind of uh, need this kind of input and energy from Silicon Valley still. So that, that stood out of my mind. But there are other things that do too, like um, Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh. Uh, so much of the activity, uh, innovation activity in the region is driven by Carnegie Mellon and uh, the graduates from uh, Carnegie Mellon. Uh, in Cleveland, same thing through Case Western Reserve University. Uh, so you do see a lot of activity around the universities, the lead universities, Ann Arbor in, in, in Michigan. Um, and those are very strong driving forces that provide talent, um, that provide resources for startups to get started and to scale up. I, 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 lo I love that. That's the one word that will always resonate with me. And at the end of the day, if we look at how innovation economies start. You need the resources in terms of funding. You also need resources in terms of people. So the talent from universities and then creating job opportunities for local workers, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's perfect. And I think that's exactly what we need. Um, before we close, I want to ask you one last question. What gives you hope this year? And after that, where do we find your book? <laughs> uh, you know, the tech innovation is going to continue. Um, and I think it's moving into new areas. So uh, metaverse, and, uh, it's a very strong area. Uh, Web3, uh, how, the, how the internet mobile app is changing, uh, how AI is playing into that, how all these technologies are playing into it, IoT and robotics, they're all converging and 
changing the way we do things from transportation to banking uh, to retailing. It's impacting us, uh, our daily lives. And I don't see that uh, changing. I also see um, that we will see um, maybe a, a lessening of this divide of rich and poor. You know, I, I'm hoping that we can see some of that uh, happen uh, where the coastal elites are, are not separated from the inland um, uh, people who don't have quite the same opportunities or haven't had the same opportunities yet. I'm hoping we'll see a lessening of that divide. I'm hoping that we'll see more, uh, you know, internet access in areas that have not had internet access, and we can see more education going in. We can see, um, you know, that some of this uh, money that's filtering in from the federal government helps to even out things. Um, so yeah, that's my hope. Uh, and uh, you know, I'm from the heartland, so I get it. Uh, I've been there. I know what it's like, and I've worked in New York and Silicon Valley and in China and in Asia. And so I, I know I, I can bring a global perspective to this. And I think, uh, you know, I'm positive about the region. I am positive about it. It has, has its issues. Um, and just like any city does, like with homelessness, and for instance. Uh, so, but I'm very um, optimistic about the region because of the people. Uh, primarily, the people are very um, driven, uh, have a lot of heart, uh, a lot of gut, uh, <laughs> you know, they're very gutsy. And uh, that's the same kind of trend that I saw, uh, or characteristic that I saw in China in the early days. So I think that that will carry it forward as well. And in terms of my book, um, well, look, uh, March 7th is right around the corner. Um, and uh, the book is already on pre-order on all of the major book sites, including Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Uh, and if you come to some of my events that I've been happening, uh, we have had a few preview editions that have been available. Uh, so yeah, but March 7th is a big day. Um, and I'm gonna be speaking at South by Southwest on March 11th, so we'll have books there. And I'm really excited about that. I'm going to be uh, interviewing one of the leading venture capitalists uh, from a global perspective, and that's Jim Breyer. Uh, so I'm interviewing him Saturday morning, March 11th at South by Southwest, uh, and that's coming up. And so I'll be on the book tour uh, as well in the Heartland and in New York and Silicon Valley from starting that March 7th onward for you know a couple months. That's awesome. Super, super exciting and uh, very happy for you. It's a story that needs to be told. And I hope that more people will get to hear the story and get inspired and get moving. So thank you so much for joining us today, Rebecca. It's been lovely talking to you. And for our listeners, be sure to check out Rebecca's book, available March 7th. But now you can pre-order it and you can check out her work as well as her events on Silicon Dragon Ventures. So for now, thank you so much for joining us for an episode of One Vision. We will talk to you all next week. <laughs>